this does suggest that it could be yeah. like something that does tip the balance. All you need now is Hercule Poirot to sort of just kind of <laughs> totter into the courtyard, kind of in a very sort of dainty fashion, <laughs> carefully twirling his moustache. Now, now, Lord Bolton, I notice <laughs> you've got some problems here with people being killed. <laughs> is this bad news, boring-wise? Can you imagine the headlines? Mad dickhead kisses queen, not long for this life. You know. <laughs> Hello and welcome to part nine of Shark Live Royal's read-through of A Dance with Dragons. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And it is getting... I don't... I'll be honest, <laughs> there are a couple of these chapters where I thought it, it, it wobbled a bit in this, uh, this week. <laughs> <laughs> Never let it be said, ladies and gentlemen, that we are really any good at selling ourselves. Come, come to us and hear the sheer force of our underwhelmingness. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Though it was, I thought I one do, of these. I, I know, yeah. I, I do know that. I was as I was reading it as we were getting to the different chapters where they sort of reintroduce characters that I haven't connected with for a, a long while, <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah. No, damn, no, you know what? Absence does not make the heart grow fonder. I still don't give a tuppity shit about this storyline. <laughs> but we'll get on to that. There are some good ones as well. But uh, this Absolutely. Week, yeah, we're reading from um, this chapter called The King's Prize, um, which is where we left off last time, as far as uh, a chapter about Tyrion, which begins with a very odd phrase. I think it's Lot 97. So that's as far as we're going for this week. Mm. So, mm. It's about time we get started then. About that time. <laughs> uh, just before we do start, if you want to uh, send any uh, feedback to us on the cast or the uh, or the book, you know what to do. It's sharkliveroyalpodcast.gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter. Uh, we are at sharkliveroyal. I just uh, realised before we came on today, Dave, uh, Hannah Haig uh, stuck a tweet out saying just listening to a bit of Shark Liver Oil. So, that. cheers, Hannah. Good to uh, good to know you're listening. And um, let's carry on. Let's continue to give them what they want, which is a talk about the king's prize. The king's prize, Dave. The king. The king has a prize. D- did you immediately, from reading that, know who this was going to be about? No, I didn't. No, no, no. But I should have done, shouldn't I? Really, mm-hmm. like that. I should have learned my lesson that if there was a character that I put quite a lot of time into, but I wasn't really sure whether I liked or not, seems to have died. They haven't died. Yeah, it's an, it's another it's another resurrection. Asher turns out has been captured. It, What's was, the resurrection count now? How I'm, many are we at? I mean, the, the, this one. I mean, this one was the, the last chapter we had with Asher was pretty much. I mean, she got smacked around the head with a an axe. I suppose it yeah. was it was the classic sort of, you know, mini series cliffhanger where the guy pulls the axe back for the final blow and it cuts away. So it did clearly say <laughs> this could be, you know, she could be yeah. okay. So it wasn't quite as as bad of a sort of a switcheroo as we've had in the past. You're still um, pissed about Tyrion, aren't you? Be honest. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Or just because I think the one that really tipped me over the edge. We don't want to keep going on like picking at this old wound, but the one that really sort of made, exhausted my patience was the Brienne one, where he <laughs> he killed her off and then brought her back, and then that chapter when he brought her back, he killed her off again. <laughs> or he yeah. semi killed her off. We don't even know anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, not cool, not, yeah, cool. not cool, George. Not cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so this is about Asher. Asher has survived. Um, it is quite nice just to be uh, with the Stannis host now, just to find out about how they're getting on. So Asher is now a captive of Stannis's. Uh, it yeah. turns out Triss and Carl uh, were also both captured, so lucky for us, we've still got this uh, love triangle going on. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm filled with relief. That's what's been keeping me in these chapters up to this point, is the love triangle. Yeah, but they're they're being left at Deepwood Mott as the as the army marches on Winterfell. Um, Asher is uh, sort of making her way along as a captive with Justin Massey is her jailer and also seems to be quite keen on marrying her. 
Uh, yeah, he's got, <laughs> he's got a certain amount of moxie, hasn't he? What's he think he's going to do? Just sort of like, darling, I give you these shackles. As a poor, humble man, an iron ring is all I can give you. <laughs> Marry me? <laughs> and uh, also, her other captor is uh, the, the she-bear called Alisane Mormont. Um, yeah, but until she did the name for... Th- until she said, oh, this is Alisane Mormont, I completely forgot all about the she-bear as a character. And I was like, is this Brienne? <laughs> is this is this just pulled this epic character kind of uh, teleportation thing again, like he did with Stannis, where suddenly he's at the wall? Is this suddenly Brienne? Um, but no, no, it's just somebody else. Somebody else knew. Yeah, it's one of the Mormons, uh, basically. You know, one of Jorah's family. Then it's particularly awkward this um, this sort of pairing because. The Mormons are the ones who, like, Bear Island is the place which gets raided more often than not by the Iron Islanders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of like, as Blackpool is to sort of people living in the sort of northwest of England, so the Iron Islands, um, uh, so Bear Island is the Iron Islands, isn't it? It's just, it's your sort of go-to day out. You want a bit of a day out, it's not too hard to do, just sort of nip over there. <laughs> He's trying to suggest that most people who go to Blackpool are there for a bit of pillaging. Um, well, you've been to Blackpool, presumably. <laughs> yeah, so. I would no, of course. I would never suggest something so so very very insulting. But <laughs> at the same time, yes. Now things aren't going well for Stannis's army. Uh, they are they're being sort of bogged down in this really heavy snow, um, which means the sort of the the, the massive sort of. A convoy system, if you like, is being split up slightly. So you've got the, you've got the sort of main army which is going at say the average pace. You've got the clan, hill clans who seem to have sort of these um, primitive versions of either snowshoes or like little mini skis. Yeah, which mean, I love it. Which means they can walk on top of snow like big snowdrifts, and they're pressing ahead. And then you've got the sort of baggage train. With the you know the horses and cars, which unsurprisingly are not faring well um, in this kind yeah. of weather, and the problem is that it's the baggage cart that has all the food in it, right? <laughs> yeah. So everybody's sort of pushing ahead, and particularly the sort of heroic northern clansmen are just kind of like, right, we can do this without any of the rest of you. Fuck it, stride it out. I tell you what I liked about this is that the the um, the the uncompromising uh, approach taken to this with snowshoes and taken to the cold by the sort of clansmen reminded me very much um, of uh, uh, Canadians of my acquaintance, where (laughs) everybody else in the world is complaining about the cold. Canadians are like, no, it's fine, just put a coat on, get the magic snowshoes out. We're adapted to this environment, slow coaches, and just get get it on, start striding it out. Yeah, and the Northmen do say as well, some of the... um some of Stannis' southern lords are saying, oh, this is, you know, the worst winter we've seen. And they're sort of just laughing and going, this isn't winter, sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had, I've literally had that conversation as well with Canadian members of my family, by the way. <laughs> there's, a, there's a great quote from one of them, which is something something like, um, it might be a bit more colourful than this, but it's basically like, yeah, winter slaps you around the chops and this is just a little tickle. Yeah. <laughs> That's very um, eloquent. Um, Delicately rephrased there, Matt. I, I, yeah. I seem to remember the phrasing was somewhat more robust than that. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Well done. Now, as as always happens uh, when things are going wrong around Stannis, um, the longer things go wrong, uh, the greater the pressure becomes to burn somebody, anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as a sort of someone close-ish to being a royalty on the Iron Islands. Obviously Asher is a in a dangerous place here. Mm. But um she she was actually as everyone else is struggling along, she's in relative comfort for most of this because she's in a little yeah. carriage um with like seems to be being looked after relatively well. Um Yeah. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because she does spend quite a lot of time talking about how little she means to Stannis. But he still mm. seems to be treating her like a like well, like a prize, you know, like a Yeah. You know, we're gonna have this. Um, yeah, it's weird. I, 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 I have to say though, I really liked the description of this this sort of trudge across the landscape. 
Yeah. I thought it was it was incredibly well done. Just like because George isn't averse to a little bit of colourful prose, but he tends to keep it inside a single paragraph. You know, it's, it's kind of scene setting. Whereas yeah. with this, he really wants to hammer home the fact that this is a horrible, like horrendous snowstorm, and it goes on for like weeks. Yeah. And it's like you know, on day twenty of the fifteen day march, it was like this, and then on day thirty two of the <laughs> fifteen day march, it was like this. And um, I don't know about you, but I, I was feeling it. I was. Mm. Yeah, I was. I definitely. I was starting to shiver at the end, and I live somewhere that's really quite warm, so that was quite an achievement. <laughs> yeah, and that extension of days is is really effective, actually, isn't it? As you say, so it's yeah. when when they set out, it's described as this fifteen day march, and it gets to day fifteen. They're not even halfway there, and it gets to day twenty, and uh, Asha loses her wagon, so she's got to walk. They get to day thirty one, they've run out of vegetables, so they're basically just <laughs> they're basically just living off the horses that they kill when the horses die of <sighs> cold. Um yeah. and the arguments are getting worse between the south and the north. And finally they come to this stop by a lake where they think they might be able to get a bit of a few fish. And yeah. Asher sort of gets up one morning and there's been no like th- nobody said let's carry on as they normally do it's just everyone's just sleep it just seems everyone's just sleeping in um, yeah but, but it's like an entire army sleeping in yeah but it's just the sort of horror of that the fact that the, the snow yeah. is the snow's killing them it's killing the entire yeah. army yeah creepy as fuck isn't it mm. and and just really really good evocation it was something which i think is is doubtless going to become a much much bigger deal in this in the rest of this book i think and in the next two books um which is you can play the Game of Thrones as dexterously and deviously as you like, but if you can't stand to be outside and it's that cold, then game over, mm. you know? And he, he, he definitely seems to be describing the winter in such a way as to say that this is something special by way of total bastard winters, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, so, and I was thinking this, you know, we have a chapter later on where we see the other side of this, of, of this sort of coming battle in Winterfell. Hmm. And um, and it it presents it really really well as like I'm not certain you've really understood what it's like to fight a battle in the winter because yeah. winter comes once every decade or whatever winter comes unpredictably yeah um, yeah yeah I thought the the hill clans were quite interesting with this in that they a couple of them are talking about so it's almost like a suicide mission for them <clears throat> it's almost like a suicide mission for them. They're saying that they're just looking forward to to dying, sort of while killing some Boltons, um, and I, I kind of got the impression that when winter really comes down in the sort of mm. in the northern part of the north, um, there's a, a real thinning out of those hill clans. Anyway, most of them die, so mm. they're quite fatalistic about it, thinking, "Well, you know, winter's on the way again, so most of us are going to die of cold. So we may as well <laughs> come down and." Uh, and make a make a go of, you know, killing a few Boltons. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it totally is though. Isn't it? It's an entire group of like hill clans just looking at their whatever they have instead of wristwatches, their wrist-mounted sundials <laughs> or whatever. Just going about that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, that's an interesting little sort of wrinkle as well about about sort of we we don't really know a great deal about those that that sort of part of Westeros. Uh, speaking of going to another part, let's go from somewhere very cold to somewhere very warm or very hot, hot and heavy, Dave, as we go to Daenerys. <laughs> oh, you're not kidding, are you? Yeah. Deary me. <laughs> she's uh, She's been enjoying the, uh, the, the type of life you have when you've just met someone and you spend your entire time in the bedroom. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, she's bow, also bow, a queen. Bow, 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 bow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so it's her and Dario, and um, it looks like it's been getting m- less and less discreet, this, to the point where um, Dario turned up in the middle of the sort of throne room at one point and just kissed her in front of everybody. And, <laughs> and unsurprisingly, Sir Barristan, dad, was absolutely furious. <laughs> yeah. What the shivering fuck is going on here? He didn't say because knights don't talk that way. But he was—he said it with his eyes. He looked at him. It was amazing. I just—I sort of love that because can you imagine? Can you imagine the headlines, Matt? If something like that kicked off in England, notwithstanding the fact that our current monarch is, you know, 
very, very elderly. But yeah. even even in the sort of the forties and the fifties, somebody walks in and kisses her. It, like mad dickhead kisses queen. Not long for this life, you know. <laughs> yeah, we should just take this moment to to say, as we as we're going to do now every week, um, Sir Barristan, little little celebration. I'm still standing because he's a. Uh, <laughs> Not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is very. Yeah, this is one of the areas in which comparing the book to the TV series really pays a dividend. <laughs> I'm I'm really sort of just delighted every time I see him still alive because you gave him the mark of death when you said that he was destined to die anytime soon. <laughs> so I just every time I like I come to the nearest chapter, I'm like, oh no, oh, this is his. Death he is marked for death. <laughs> death. <laughs> We've no sort of other than sort of, uh, yeah the the series which isn't particularly canon to the book. We've no real indication of whether or not he will die. But I think I just think it's quite funny to keep coming back to celebrations every time he's still kicking. I mean he's he's an old knight. They, they don't tend to last very long, do they? That's true, but if they do last a long time, they become like old weathered oak church doors. You know what I mean? You could essentially drive a tank into one of those and it'd bounce off. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel about it. Notwithstanding the TV series and the fact that I'm doubtless in for another disappointment. <laughs> I'm standing with Barristan on this one. He's a badass grandpa. <laughs> uh, no, uh, later on, Daenerys holds court after she leaves the bedroom. Um, and during this time, again, it's another example of how this Dario thing is a problem. It's going to be even more, it seems to be an increasing problem. Um, yeah. the, the Green Grace, um, one of the sort of, it seems to be the like cultural voice of Marine, um, mm. the Green Grace. She sort of turns up and she basically starts to chastise Daenerys about Dario. She says, like, one of your captains who's. Uh, who's getting too bold, something like that. And yeah. Daenerys manages to swerve it into a talk about Brown Ben, who's obviously Oh, left. that's a judo throw and no mistake, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that just fantastic? Yeah, but it does give Daenerys pause to think, hmm, this is, this is bad, this is bad, isn't it? You know, um, and obviously people are talking about this now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. Then we get to the arrival and the big reveal of uh, Quentin Martell and friends, who um, who basically turn up as these uh, as these mercenaries who apparently have switched sides, and then throw off their cloaks. And he goes, "It is I, Quentin Martell, the least impressive prince you will ever see." <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Because he's he's stuck in a very extended awkward phase. <laughs> And he's been sent to go and play the sort of dashing hero. And he must, at every step, be feeling the most complete Charlie in the history of the universe. <laughs> oh, I'm going to throw off my cloak and everybody's going to be amazed. And there's complete <laughs> silence in the throne room. This is fucking awful. Am I dreaming? Is this the one where I'm naked in front of an entire... No. Oh, I wish it was a dream. <laughs> It's just so quiet, isn't he? And even even during this, he more or less lets uh, his better-looking friend speak for him quite a lot. He doesn't sort of <laughs> he doesn't take control, does he? He's he's very yeah. he's very meek and deferential. To be honest, um, this is a bit of a reach, but I've <laughs> I've just been watching Arrested Development where uh, the. <laughs> Do you know, like Buster Bluth goes to that school and he's not, he, he learns to be neither oh, seen yeah. nor heard. And that just reminds me of Quentin, just, he'll never be seen nor heard. <laughs> you can always tell a Milford man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally true. Deary me, yeah. what a mess it all is. And and it's as if, I can't, I don't quite understand how the same social setting which created the Sand Snakes, who are fucking batshit. Right, they are they are off the charts crazy, unmanageable. Right, yeah. they just they simply do not know how to exercise self control. Um, 
also created Quentin Martel the most polite barbarian in existence. Yeah. You know, because they're supposed to be all passion and fire, and I rip my shirt with the sheer passion of wanting to do everything that I want to do. And he's like, uh, excuse me, would you mind if it's about your uh, uh, marriage, uh, my queen? Uh, awfully nice if you wouldn't mind if we could... Uh, uh, marriage? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't help that he's acquired this nickname as Frog. Um, yeah, while, it's not heroic, is it? No, and it actually makes Daenerys just burst out laughing when he reveals who he is because she thinks about him as a frog prince, which is, a, <laughs> which is quite... Yeah, cool. that's a horrible moment as he goes, My lady, I am the prince! Ha 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 Oh what? no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and, then, and then there's this big row in the throne, in the throne room about him. And Daenerys ends up sort of speaking up for him, like just out of almost. It feels like out of pity, just to give him it, you know. So, oh, don't be so mean to him, you know. And again, he's just no chance, has he? You can't, you can't be in that position and have any chance of actually, you know, uh, getting Daenerys to to want to sort of to want to make you her king, if you like. Mm. So, it's not looking good. It isn't good. Quentin is basically rejected and shunted off to one side, despite the fact he's got this bit of parchment suggesting this alliance. Um, yeah. Daenerys just seems remarkably just uninterested in that. She's got her own problems, and this guy... I, if, I, it seems like... Were he, were he a different type of character, were he basically like Dario, Quentin could have pulled this off. He could have come in and basically... Um, given her another option, yeah, uh, and a way out of what is at the moment a dreadful situation, yeah. But he just, yeah, he just can't pull it. I, I, what do you think? Do you think there was there would ever be a character that could have sort of pulled this plan off and convinced Daenerys to to go over there and and, and start an alliance with Dawn? It's a good question. I think I think there is a character who could have done that, but that character is Dario Naharis. Hmm. Like, you just need somebody who's impossibly charismatic that she's going to be in love with, right? Like, who, who's going to have, the, you know, enough force of personality to turn up and, you know, kind of with, with you know, artfully unbuttoned shirt and kind of strike the, the <laughs> traditional heroic Shakespearean pose and mm. go, Milady, <laughs> see my dong! And just, you know, like, I, I don't know, just carry her away or something, you know. Um, mm. As indeed... Dario has done mm. um, but anybody else like I really don't think you know that that space is already taken isn't it so you know in the room right now there's the person she wants to go on being with forever and there's the person that she knows she's going to have to marry because of uh, because of politics and what third argument do you make there mm. I'm, I'm like milady I'm fantastic at cooking you know, I've got this lovely getaway in the north of Scotland. It's delightful. Like, he, he, there's nothing you can do there, is there? Yeah, he, his, his argument is basically, you can come home and, you know, I'm really quite nice. I'm, you know. <laughs> Once you get to know me. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little unsure of myself and a bit bumbling. And I am quite quiet and I let my friends speak for me and I've acquired this name, which everybody laughs at me for, but I am actually quite a nice guy. I said... I, I am a king, though. Eh? Yeah. Heir it just, to a throne. It just, so... It just doesn't count for much, does it, in this world, no, being, like, nonsense. decent. So, poor, just, poor it, Quentin. Poor Quentin, indeed. Mm. Very, very sad. But it's, I, I was surprised at how kind of peremptory this was. Given how many chapters he's put in to get him <laughs> yeah. there, I would have thought there would at least have been a kind of... Kind of muttering in the courtroom, and and Daenerys yeah. all of a sudden was kind of torn and and saw some upside and decided to play. Then nobody's over in five fucking minutes. She just goes, "It's very kind of you, but I'm afraid, you know, like explaining difficult truths to an unruly five year old. Yeah. I'm afraid I do still have to go and get married to the guy who's incredibly powerful and who controls all the people who might be trying to kill me. Sorry, you're welcome to come to the wedding though, eh? Yeah." You know, it's it's not even kind. It's just it's just boof. Yeah. And I wonder how many pages. I mean, we count up the pages. I wonder how many pages he's put into the the Quentin storyline so far, yeah. just to have it sort of fall flat on its ass. 
Well, you know, he's still hanging around court, so maybe it will twist into something more significant as we go on. Um, the rest of this chapter, though, is basically just a slow trudge towards Daenerys's marriage, which goes ahead. So the wedding does happen um, mm. with her and Hisdar, uh, the cat who's got the cream. Like, you can just see his face, can't you? That big old <laughs> grin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the grin that cries out to be punched, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, what did you make of this of Daenerys and Dario then the the sort of various bedroom scenes we have of them talking about what's going to happen next oh the fucking fit mate oh sorry you meant for plot wise <laughs> couldn't care less <laughs> I did, sorry I can't I still can't escape the feeling that George just really wants me to just kind of just be like kind of yeah sex scene yeah queen yeah because <laughs> um, they don't really perform any function do they you know like we've already seen Daenerys's capacity for being for being you know kind of head over heels recklessly in love with somebody as she was with um Khal Drogo mm. um so I mean it's interesting to see that development in a character I suppose mm. uh, so maybe I'm being a bit harsh on George but by and large it's a bit like yeah I get it they're shagging it, where does, you? where does Dario go from here what's gonna I mean is he He's such an unpredictable character anyway. Um, and it's obvious that there, obviously there is something between the two of them. <clears throat> but how will that now manifest itself with the fact that she's going to be married? He's not going to be happy being sort of some kind of toy boy on the side, is he? I don't know. It seems that he might get a little bit of a kick out of that being the one the Queen really wants to shag. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah possibly. Like, I could definitely see him going for that. But um, but if not, I mean, he'll do what Dario Naharis always do, ride around the place, pick fights with people who are weaker than he is, chop their heads off, <laughs> and then sit drinking beer and shagging women on their mortal remains. Like <laughs> It's the Dario way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the Dario Naharis way to wisdom. <laughs> okay, um, let's move back to the cold, back to the north, back to John up on uh, the wall. Yeah. And he's... You know, it's, things are getting a bit bad up there. It's quite depressing. The The best news he's had in year, in months has been the snow has, has sort of stopped falling quite so hard for a short period of time. <laughs> so yeah. a visitor's arrived to cheer him up. It's Queen Celis, um, the most miserable queen in all of the Seven Kingdoms. Which is a crowded field, by the way. <laughs> This is not like everybody else is happy-go-lucky, but she she is streets ahead looking yeah. dour as though she's just sucked on a battery-acid-soaked lemon. <laughs> she's come to Castle Black from from uh, over sort of an East Watch, where, yeah. unsurprisingly, she's not been getting on so well with Cotter Pike, <laughs> who's an abrasive <laughs> character in himself. Um, no surprises there. Yeah, yeah, I, it's... It's almost like a festival of uh, this this scene, this sort of reintroduction scene with the Queen, of like Jon Snow being extraordinarily courtly and the Queen clearly having repeated to herself day in, day out on this ride from um, from Eastwatch, fucking Cotter Pike, wanker, <laughs> fucking not showing me the proper fucking respect. <laughs> and, <laughs> And then she turns up and John like lays out the red carpet and she can't really keep herself from still being like, well, you're a lot younger than I was expecting. Cotter Pikes, an ignorant bastard. <laughs> like just unloading all of that shit before just going off to bed. <laughs> yeah. She's also brought along um, a, a banker from, um, from the Iron Bank of Bravos called Taicho Nistoris. I don't know if that's right, it's close enough. I read um, it as Tycho, because that's that's a name taken from um uh one of the early astronomers was called Tycho Brahe. Excellent. Tycho what's his what's his surname? Nest, Your Nestor. guess is as good as mine. That's not from classical antiquity, that's just from George Martin's brain. Tycho. You go and guess. Jane rhymes with pain, so you know, go nuts. Alright, Tycho Nestoris. So he's turned up, and we'll have more with him in a minute, because first they come across one one. The uh, the giant, and oh, I love one one, don't you? Yeah, immediate response from most of uh, the queen's guards is to 
think about trying to kill him, which was... Uh... I love that. They just completely lose their shit. Like, they're <laughs> right back on this wavelength we were talking about last time, where it's like, they're from north of the wall, they're essentially cattle. And this is a cow that's twice the size of my house. I just... I just, I completely love it. And John must be in his head a little bit, loving the fact that he can just go, one, one, go get some food, food for one, one. And one, one goes, one, one, food, one, 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 and just sort of walks off. <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite funny that John thinks that uh, there's been a bit of a problem recently with the giant in that he's discovered wine and alcohol <laughs> and he likes it. And I was just, I've just, I've just written here, it's happening, frat boy, one, one. <laughs> <laughs> predictions coming true brilliant absolutely amazing we called it we looked at it and we called it yeah it's that's, that's terrifying though isn't it i don't know if you've ever had the, the the privilege of being around somebody who's completely enormous but doesn't yet know how to hold their drink but it's it's something else it's like fighting a cave troll in lord of the rings it's 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 the idea of one one getting out of hand, getting sloppy drunk and getting into full on I love you, you're my best mate, you are mode, followed immediately by the lacrimose depressed mode, followed by the really angry phase. <laughs> Inside a castle would leave not much of a castle left at the end of it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the the giant is being kept away from beer and booze as much as possible now unsurprisingly as much as possible yeah <laughs> until it happens until this drunken rampage which we are so hoping for <laughs> comes to pass um, party Woo! Woo! <laughs> party spring break <laughs> he's got some weight if he's waiting for spring break because winter <laughs> rolls just arrived <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> Uh, yes, so then we have this chat with the Iron Bank, and uh, it turns out that the Iron Throne, i.e. King's Landing, um, has decided to stop, we've, we've known this for a while, but has decided to stop paying um, its debts to the Iron Bank. So, mm. basically, Tycho has arrived to say, you know, if Stannis is about to give us some payment guarantees about this debt that the Iron, Iron Throne owes, I'd be... You know, we'd be up for maybe bankrolling Kim, and and John's thinking this could be a real game changer. This could be yeah. the, the the thing that swings it for Stannis because it's basically a bottomless pit of money for him to buy whatever mercenaries he needs to take the to take the throne. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and it could. It, and I'll level with you. This is one of the areas where I was a bit sad that it's in the TV series first because if what happens in the TV series happens in the book then you know this isn't going anywhere mm. but um i kind of really hope that it did and i think that's a testament to how good the storytelling is that it does still pull me back in even when i think i know what's going to happen yeah and um, you know the the book and, and series aren't afraid to diverge every now and then maybe not to this, sort of this extent but you never know so i mean this this does suggest that it could it could be yeah. like something that does tip the balance. The problem is, he's got to get to Stannis. They can't just sort yeah. of, you know, wireless transfer this stuff. He's got to, they've got to <laughs> physically go over and see him. So, and this is where yeah. John sees an opportunity because he says, "Well, we'll get you to him, um, but we want something in return." And he's he wants ships to go and uh, rescue the people at Hardhome, and he wants mm. a loan to sort of get him through the winter. And he manages yeah. to secure most of that as part of the deal. So it was a good bit of politics from him. Absolutely, yeah. I love this description at the end of the the, um, the end of the negotiation as well. Is that um, they were both half drunk and completely unhappy. Mm. <laughs> that was an approach to negotiation. I just thought it was completely hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm really impressed here that John's so intent on going and rescuing these um, these people from Hardhome. Mm. You know. Like, that, I mean, obviously there is a good reason for him to want to do that. But at the same time, he I think he could be forgiven for saying, you know, oh man, I've got to negotiate with this, like, professional hard-ass. Like, is this really worth it? Mm. Um, so I think I'm really, you know, I like Jon Snow as a character since the beginning because we've been in his head the whole time. But actually, now I'm like, he's pretty great. Mm. 
I'm, I'm impressed with him. Yeah, I mean, it builds in as part of his sort of wider strategy, doesn't it, of trying to have as few people north of the wall who can be turned into whites as possible, but also speaks to his humanity and his sense of decency. Um, mm. And, and to, yeah, to, to keep that as a fundamental key part of his negotiation here is very mm. interesting. Um, the chapter ends with this girl being found. The, the girl on the crappy dying horse, which we've heard so much about from Malisandra, which we think is Aya, and John certainly thinks is Aya, um, mm. she arrives at the castle. So John yeah. rushes over to see her, thinks, I'm going to finally see Aya again. Brilliant reunion. No, no, no. What did you think about this? Like, did you think, did you think this was Arya? Did you think you'd been throwing the most enormous curveball in the universe? Because at a certain point, I was like, it can't possibly be Arya. We know it's not Arya. Arya is somewhere else completely. But we've had nothing from her until this reveal. So I was like, well, fuck. Again, if George can just magic an army at the wall, who we last saw south in King's Landing, then they'd be fucking anywhere, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah, and the, the the fact that there are these two sort of strange timelines with Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons yeah. leaves the door open to be, oh, I'm not sure where the Arya story is in relation to John here, so it's possible, yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly, yeah, I certainly thought it's very unlikely, but it's definitely possible. So I certainly had a similar, or like a, a feeling of disappointment as the character John would have when you realise that ah, it, it isn't her. <laughs> We're not going to get a reunion. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely, because of that, I was like, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, it, it turns out to be Alice Karstark, who has news of a plot, a plot, I say. <gasps> uh, because her, obviously, the, the guy who's currently in charge, whichever Lord Karstark is now in charge at the uh, at Carhold, uh, is, is this sort of turncloak who's joining Stannis to betray him. And... This is interesting because if you add this to the Iron Bank, at the sort of the end of the the um, Asher Greyjoy chapter, I'm reading that thinking, well, I can't see any way Stannis recovers from he's this. He's going to win. He's in so yeah. he, you know he, he's getting battered by the storm outside the walls. The the Boltons seem relatively secure at Winterfell. Um, it's hopeless. And then these two bits of news: a the fact that there's some massive investment on the way if they can get it to him. And B, this plot, which is hatching around Stannis to basically get him killed, um, might well be revealed as well. If they can get yeah. this news to him as well as they banker, then yeah. then it could change. And it suddenly, it's quite, I quite, I quite like this because suddenly there's sort of an urgency. There's a race yeah. against time to get this banker and this message to Stannis in time before it's yeah. too late. Yeah, very much. Although, I think maybe it's not as sunny as that. I like it to be that way because I like characters staying alive and continuing to do interesting things. But um, I think maybe it's not as easy as that because because it's winter, I think money's less important to people. I think having enough food, because you don't know how long the, the winter's going to go on for. So having enough food is probably actually more important than having enough money at this point. It's not like there's a whole functioning market economy where people are turning out swords and shields and banners all the time and there's food to be bought wherever you want and all the rest mm -hmm. of it. You know, like it's... So even if Stannis turned up outside Winterfell with an enormous fortune, like, what good would it do him? I suppose he could buy people's loyalty, couldn't he? Well, it. I think also it's what what that money can buy you outside of Westeros. So it's not just bringing coin in. It's, you know, that ships in armies from across the narrow sea. It, it ships in food if you need it. You can buy food from places where it, it isn't quite so cold yet and ship that mm. over. There's so many possibilities that open up if you've just got a shitload of money to spend. Um, mm. So I think in terms of a wider strategy, yeah, the money can can provide whatever he needs. If, yeah, we need, desperately needs food because there's just none of it about now because it's because the north and sort of Westeros is in the grip of this winter. Just get yeah. it, yeah, get it sent in. Um, if you've yeah. got the money, they can sort of fix most anything, can't they? Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, again, in the middle of a, you know, would it be enough even now? See, it looks to me like everybody's almost dead. Like, mm. I feel like the, the scene we left them on was, you know, that everybody's essentially dead or asleep before death. Yeah, yeah. And that's the key, isn't it? It's this race against time, though. Can can he get some kind of assistance in time? 
and mm. we will see. Speak, yeah. Speaking of the missing girl, Aya, or as she's now known, the blind girl, we we return to her. So we last left Aya in Feast for Crows where she went blind and we go back to her in a dance with dragons and she's still blind. Were you excited about this chapter, Dave? This development? Um, development's a very strong <laughs> word, isn't it? You mean the, the continuing ennui of this character whose journey I don't understand and what's at stake I've never witnessed. Yeah, <laughs> enthralled by it, mate. Absolute bowled over. Fucking full of the joys of spring with it. How about you? Yeah, well, so Aya is dreaming of being a wolf at night, um, possibly sort of going into the head of her wolf over in Westeros. Um, She's kind of learning a trade of sorts while being blind. She's learning how to be a faceless, faceless man. Um, Yeah, yeah, I've put down here, um, is this bad news, boring-wise? Um, in my notes, which <laughs> basically sums up my opinion of it at the moment. It's sad, though, isn't it? Because I feel like there is, there could be something in a storyline like this that's really interesting. Because she's, you know, she's engaging with this this weird spirituality, and it seems to be, you know, they seem to be very strictly trying to teach her certain life lessons, which I think would make her a very interesting character hmm. if and when she ever reconnects with all the other characters in the book. Hmm. And of course, that's the problem is that I don't have any faith that she'll stay alive until she reconnects with any other characters in the book. So, you know, why do I care? Hmm. Um, But it could be interesting. But because I feel like George is trying to act as though something has happened which hasn't actually happened. I think he's trying to act as though she's been through a character arc and an experience where she's been presented with certain challenges and has responded in certain ways and her character has changed in certain ways and we all know what that is. And we you know, we, we all feel like we're somewhere in an arc and we feel like there's a, ca- a, a question about uh, Arya that we're kind of waiting to have answered for us. Mm. And actually, I don't feel that way. I'm like, you know, she went for this interminable walk whose purpose I didn't understand. And then she ended up in this weird religious environment where you know she was kicked about made to give up her identity and everything that was precious to her and then turned blind hmm. and that in itself to me isn't the story arc yeah you know? so yeah i do think there's a there's a bit of a problem with Aya with the longer she spends away from the other characters the yeah. the sort of the less interesting she becomes it's like a it's like a meal getting cold isn't it Oh, that's a very good image. And I, yeah, and I completely agree, actually. Um, yeah, I don't really know why I'm supposed to be super bothered by it. So I'm not super yeah. bothered by it, you know? Because with the, she bumps into the odd secondary character, doesn't she? But yeah. um, she hasn't really been a central part of any proper story for a long time now. So yeah. Not wrong. It, it does feel like she needs, some, she needs to sort of start doing something again soon. Or else she may yeah. be lost for good, but um, yeah. So yeah, she's doing this training. She's actually doing a little bit of a uh, little bit of journalism training as well because she's been going out begging, um, and learning. She basically has to come back with three things she's learnt, and if you if you train to be a journalist, this is one of the exercises you often do. You get sent out and said, "Come back with a story," and that's basically what yeah. she's got to do. And she's <laughs> she's getting some of the sort of tips as well, like. She uh, she says uh, there's this beautiful woman or this this guy is going to be the next sea lord and she gets told off because she's not attributing it and it's actually just this isn't fact yet it's just opinion and, <laughs> and I thought I thought this is quite interesting she's getting a bit of journalism training <laughs> I was that's amazing I I love that insight because I, I I I have no insight at all into the training the training process for journalists. Um, so <laughs> I love that this is sort of that you know I just imagine her now coming back to the sort of smoke-filled newsroom. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm drawing on the cliches of forty years ago or whatever. That sort of nineteen seventies, really scuzzy neon light thing. Newsroom full of kind of balding men with sweat patches, rolled up sleeves. Fiftieth cigarette of the hour on the go in their hands. Just bring me a story. What do you got? What do you got? That's not news. <laughs> <laughs> kicking her out the door go and find me some news <laughs> yeah now um some of the things that i i'm not aware of um uh, a part of the journalism training 
as of yet, include uh, being made temporarily blind, um, <laughs> being beaten up with a stick whilst being temporarily blind, or having to sort of dress and change dead bodies. I'm not sure any of that really goes on. <laughs> I was told that she can have her sight back whenever she wants it, but this is a test. If she takes that, she'll have to leave. So it's basically giving up if she does that. Um We've touched on this, that her lessons, you know, it's this weird kind of school she's in now. She has language lessons. She plays the lying game where she tries to guess if someone's lying to her. She um, has to strip and change dead bodies. Uh, She gets hit with a stick for some guy. (laughs) For 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 reasons. Did you know why that was? Just just to reinforce the humiliation of the experience. Yeah, just because they're... Just because they're horrible to her. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So why do I care about her succeeding according to their terms? She's like, Arya, fucking leave. It, it seems to be two things, this, isn't it? It's part training and part punishment. She, this is yeah. it. She got, she, if you want to become sort of a full member of this group, you have to go through sort of a, some kind of training like this. But I get the impression hers is harsher and lasting more, for a longer time because she mm. killed that guy, Darian, the singer. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it's a bit of both, isn't it, this? Yeah. Um, I tell you, there's an interesting thing here as well, is that she doesn't seem to be too repentant about that either, does she? No. Like, you know, she kind of, she in her head when she's talking about it, she's like, yeah, killed him, deserved it, fuck him. Mm. Um, but um, by, by by the end of the chapter... Um, she's got her sight back, and there's a sense in which she sort of passed the test. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting thing, isn't it? Where like, you know, it is perfectly possible for people to kind of smuggle through these like proving experiences that you have in the early part of your career, where nobody's giving you any breaks, and you've got to work really, really hard, and it's horrible, and all the rest of it. Um, like where you're kind of people still manage to carry through their bad character traits, even through experiences that are designed to take them away. Yeah. And to a certain extent, it seems like Arya is still really uh, creepy and a little bit murderous, despite the fact that they've been trying to get her to see that it's all in service of a higher thing and it's not really about petty vindictiveness at all. She's still very much the you know the person who's looking to use her hard-acquired black belt in karate to go and beat up the old school bully. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's still more than an element of he had it coming, but uh, yeah, Darian, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Um, she goes out on another one of the begging missions. She sits in this, she sits in this pub and listens and is given free bread and wine by the barman. Um, this this passage actually with all those little chinks of light where um, George Martin writes in a passage and in a situation a few characters that are all actually being quite decent you know there's this mm. little blind girl begging and you know this this barman is giving her free food and every so often some of the regulars drop a couple of coins into a bowl it's small kindnesses but it it just seems um so unusual in this universe isn't it it does, doesn't it? The milk of human kindness is such a strange flavour in this novel. They mm. <laughs> just end up being like, oh, they just being positively decent towards her. Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite sure what to do about that. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then here comes the body slam as you as, as you lulled into sort of peeping your head above the parapet uh, as the sort of little sort of shafts of sunlight on a cold winter morning suddenly reach you. <laughs> Um, we hear the tale of how uh, two slave ships have stopped off at Hard Home and stolen a load of women and children to sell into slavery and are planning to go back and get some more. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> back there yeah. to earth with a bump there. All right, all right. Tell, truthfully, though, right? Truthfully, hmm. would you back the slavers or the wildling women in that situation. <laughs> Filling a boat with women of this, like, in a, a world full of badasses, the wildlings do seem to be the least, have the least fucks to give about their own personal security. So it seems to me that filling a slave ship full of wildling women is a fantastic way to end up with a sea full of wildling women <laughs> and a sinking ship full of slavers with slit throats you know what I mean <laughs> it brings the tantalising prospect of a, a pirate ship of wildling women that'd be great oh wouldn't that be fucking amazing mm. oh can you imagine the songs alone 
<laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Um, the, towards the end of this chapter, uh, Aya works out that um, this uh, this priest is the guy who's been hitting her with a stick and manages to identify a couple of the people talking in the bar, both, it seems, by looking through the eyes of some of the cats that are around her. Mm. Um the sort of and it's something it's described as a sort of yellowy vision of a cat. Um weird, isn't it? Yeah, and this is the this is the development that appears to yeah, win her, her sight back because she passes whatever test um she's 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 had in front of her because she wakes yeah. up the next day and she can she can see the candle burning and she's relieved and I'll be honest, Dave, I was pretty bloody relieved too because <laughs> I didn't want Aya blind any longer than absolutely strictly necessary. Yeah, you, you're completely right there. Uh, just, yeah, because you know that when she's blind, he's not going to send her halfway back across the world to reconnect with other characters we care about. Yeah. So after this, sort of like with Theon, I think, there's maybe a chance that we're moving out of the kind of sticky mud yeah, of um of a feast for crows and sort of moving towards something a bit more interesting. Yeah, it did feel like at the end of this chapter. Great, now let's go and do something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah very much that. <laughs> yeah, Arya. Yeah, we're gonna do that. <laughs> yeah, Arya, do you wanna do you wanna do something? Not not a walk. Not a walk. <laughs> yeah. Strongly suggest you take a horse with you. But <laughs> <laughs> some walking may be required. But do get somewhere. That, that's the only thing I ask. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, moving on to Theon A Ghost in Winterfell Our final chapter for today And uh, this storm Is getting ridiculously vicious now So much so that the Even within the castle at Winterfell They've had to sort of create these Tie these ropes between buildings So people can find their way And not get lost And if it's the kind of storm Where you can get lost crossing a courtyard Just imagine what it's going to be like Outside the walls yeah, I mean, just, again, just he kind of doubles right down on that in the bleak with Minter stuff that he's been doing. Mm. Did yeah. I say with Minter then? You did, yeah. I was wondering that's whether or not to say anything about it. <laughs> in the deep midwinter. As a, no, it's a dialect where I come from. We talk different language there. Shut up, shut up. <laughs> I did briefly wonder whether you were doing some kind of Winterfell take on it. And it was a weird winter. <laughs> I'd, I'd, re- I'd love to be able to say that I'm that witty, but no, no. I'm just incapable of using my lips and tongue to form words into language. Yeah. Now, there's this... Uh, not, not only is it extremely... Like, the, the storm, for whatever havoc it's wreaking outside, is also being becoming a major problem inside. There's this... Obviously, it's a nightmare to find your way around the castle... Um, Everyone is increasingly all just congregating in a single hall where it's just becoming this smelly, riling mess of humanity. And uh, the I think that at one point the, the stables collapse and a load of horses are killed. And also, in the middle of the storm, a series of people keep... a series of guards keep dying and it becomes increasingly clear through the chapter that someone's killing them. There's someone wandering around just murdering guards. Yeah, I loved this because this sort of um, this sort of uh, vulnerability isn't something we've seen of Bolton hmm. in the TV series. You know, Bolton is, is quite one-dimensionally just cold-eyed, total bastard, right? Yeah. Um, whereas here, and there's actually a moment, isn't there, where Theon sort of looks at him and goes, "He's scared." Yeah. You know, he sort of sees this moment in his eyes where he's kind of he's worried about what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I loved that, and I loved that. I loved that he achieved that fear by going all Agatha Christie on it. <laughs> Did he just love that? All you need now is Hercule Poirot to sort of just kind of totter into the courtyard, kind of in a very sort of dainty fashion, <laughs> carefully twirling his moustache. Now, now, Lord Bolton, I notice. <laughs> You've got some problems here with people being killed. <laughs> I won't tell you who did it, but I do know. <laughs> you reckon he's going to get them all in the great hall and go, right. <laughs> 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 that would be the mother and father of all 
end scenes, wouldn't it? Because there's about 600 people, nine horses and a bunch of dogs all shitting in the corner in the Great Hall at the moment. It's like, okay, now I have some hypotheses, but I'm finding it quite hard to make myself heard over the shit. Uh, Lord Bolton, it is clear that you are a wanker. Can we perhaps adjoin to the drawing room? This is a little out of hand. What would happen is that they they get the best man on the case, Poirot, and they would say, what's he up to? And they'd be in a corner just poking some of the dog shit. And they'd be saying, <laughs> what are you doing? Everything is important. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is connected. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, the, the 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 bit you say about Bruce Bolton uh, getting a, having the first hint of fear, that's during a an argument in the Great Hall between Wyman Manderley and Lord of the Phrase, because obviously prime suspect is Manderley, who seems remarkably sanguine about the number of people being killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of love that he's just sort of sitting there and like, like he. he I don't know if it's dangerous that he can't conceal his contempt anymore yeah. or if he's just just sort of getting away with it magnificently. He's just he he has no fucks left to give. Yeah. Cuz it does seem to me that like even when he gets into this slanging match, doesn't he? Yeah. With somebody who's like kind of yeah, well, you're responsible for killing somebody, and he's go, yeah, well, fuck you as well, because they were fine when I last saw them, and I've got twenty five thousand mates who say that they were. Also, I gave them gifts, so yeah, jog on. It felt right. a bit, and rather than being like, well, I'm insulted, sir, and the blah, 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 he's like, whatevs. You want to fight about it? Yeah, yeah, he doesn't care, does he? And it, I quite like that because yeah, the Fraser basically accusing him of. Um, having some part in the, the the deaths of these frays on the road, which come on, he did. He must have done. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but, but the thing is, it's just it felt to me this was particularly fun to read because it felt like a reversal of what happened in White Harbor, where yeah. was you know where the frays were talking about the red wedding, and this is mm. where Mandel is. Mandel is taking the, their part, you know, you know what really happened here, I know what really happened here, but I've got a lie that's just about sort of good enough that you can't call me on it and I'll just repeat <laughs> it. So he's like, yeah, you can imagine him saying these things about how everyone saw me wave them off with gifts with a big old smile on his face, like as he's looking at yeah. saying, I know what, you know, really happened here and you do, but you're not going to call yeah. me on it. Everybody let everybody was alive when they left my house. <laughs> That's mm. the fact. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with the facts, can you? No, didn't think so. Yeah. Um the, the they have one decent meal in the middle of all this, which is basically brought about because the stable collapses and kills a load of the horses, so they get horse yeah. meat for tea. Um, and the singer, to cheer them all up, plays a few of the old standbys, a few of the hits, and the one that goes down the best is, of course, the bear and the maiden fair again. It always pops out. The bear! The bear! (laughs) I still find that really funny. It's rubbish when they've done it in the TV series. It's not funny at all, but just the way he writes it down, we just imagine this entire hall full of extremely... You know, questionable personal hygiene amongst all these horses and dogs and people. But everybody's just got their knees up on the tables, just the bear, the bear, <laughs> the bear, and the maiden fair. Hey! <laughs> yeah. Now, the latest uh, death is Yellow Dick, who is uh, one of Ram- <laughs> yeah, one of Ramsey's favourites. Um, and- I laughed before they even made the joke for me, but I just loved it. <laughs> yeah. So his his death is particularly gruesome. That he basically gets his yellow member chopped off and stuffed down his throat um cold isn't it and 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 this, this is the like most um th- this is the sort of th- the most brazen of these um sort of attacks and murders so far because it's one of Ramsey's inner circle that's killed so yeah. this sort of kicks off a bit of an investigation doesn't it and Theon's yeah. brought before Roose Bolton because he's a he's one of these suspects until they take a close look at him and realise he's just he's just not got it in him either in terms of his psychology or his um or his sort of just physical ability now. Yeah. Um Yeah. 
so they and but they they sort of talk they say oh well maybe Mandalay could do it maybe you could get somebody and through this conversation between Bolton and a few of his allies they realize just how many sort of false friends they've got in the castle it could be any northern man who's doing this yeah i i loved that as well because this this went from the agatha christie mystery novel to the full-on the killer was already in the house horror thing doesn't it Mm. where just you just sort of see the boltons who've so far been sort of dining out on the fact that they are more vicious than everybody else kind of looking down noticing that you know the sort of the 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 high tower they're standing on is made out of people who really despise them mm. and and i wonder if there's a bit of a thing here where i wonder if the bolton family goes through cycles of this like you know kind of knowing that the game of thrones depends a lot on ruthlessness they're just like right well we're the most ruthless people we will literally skin you alive mm. um and so we'll win, right? But there is a reason why they haven't been kings in the north up to this point. And I think it's this. I think if you have a reputation for being horrendous, you don't inspire loyalty. People don't go, oh, yeah, he's got my best interest at heart. Yeah. No, 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 no. The moment it's in his best interest to strip the thing, the skin off my hand, he'll yeah. do it. And that's very, very clear. So I wonder if they go through this sort of cycle of like, you know, kind of real, you know, rising and then falling and then forgetting and then then waiting for the next moment and then being like, well, being a bastard worked last time, didn't it? It's as though they always lose the last chapter of their family history books. Like, it was fine last time and then we fell for some reason to do with, I don't know, somebody got drunk or something. But anyway, onwards. Yeah, it's a great lesson, this, in how that kind of level of ruthlessness is very effective in gaining power, but not very effective at all in keeping it isn't it you can you yes. can win power through that very easily or very effectively but yeah it's just very very hard to maintain a grip on it if you if that's yeah. how you're going to try and rule yeah absolutely yeah so uh theon is released uh back into the sort of into the castle Mm. Uh, and as he's going on another one of his walks, uh, the, he starts to hear drums as Stannis's army finally arrives. So <gasps> it looks like, you know, where we left them last, shivering by a lake, they've managed to sort of pull themselves up again and, and make it to the make it to Winterfell. Um, Theon's in, in the Godswood by this point, and he's yeah. sitting sort of praying before this tree, yeah. uh, or speaking to ghosts, as how he, how he describes it. And there's this yeah. sort of almost semi-interaction with Bran, which may be something to do oh, with Bran's green scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I really loved this bit as well, because this is, again, my frustration with George has been when he's just been chucking out plot lines and threads that just fly off into the ether and never connect with anything else. But when, mm. when two of them reconnect, I'm like, yes! This yeah. is how storytelling's supposed to work. Yeah. Um, and so I really loved this. I really loved because you can you can just imagine, can't you? In, in all, quite a quite a creepy way, really. Like Bran sitting in his chair at the other end of things, bellowing inside his own brain. You know, look, no, it's me. Mm. You know, I'm still alive. Uh, I know what your name is, and so on. Yeah. Um, really dramatic stuff for me. This. And then the the, the chapter ends with uh, with these washerwomen turning up. Um, looking a lot more dangerous than washerwomen. <laughs> I was going to say there was this um, there was this proposition earlier on in the chapter where it was just sort of like, "Hello, darling, you want a bit of slap and tickle, and maybe come and talk to my mate." Yeah. And now this is far more. They've got the knuckle dusters out and they've gone full on <laughs> Sopranos with it, haven't they? Yeah, you're coming with me, basically. They say to Theon, um, "Yeah, because you want it, we want you to go and see the singer." What do you make mm. of this? Weird, isn't it? I mean, it makes sense that the singer would want to leave the castle, mm. but I don't know. Is it possible the singer's somebody in disguise, or the singer is? I don't know. Um, you know, like I'm interested to see what happens. But the singer has had no trail so far, mm. so it's not like I'm filled with suspense. I'm just like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> that's, it's an odd one. That never yeah. mind, eh? What's this guy's game? Well, we we yeah. may we may discover that. Um, in the next part of our walk, there'll be part ten, Dave, of our of our read through. We're still not really that close to the end of this book yet, so plenty more to come. If you're reading, yeah. reading along with us for next week, obviously go from this chapter about Tyrion, which is next, uh, as far as a chapter about John, which begins, "He was not a tall man." I wonder who. There you go. We'll find out. Yeah. There um, you go. 
If you want to get any feedback into us, any thoughts on the book, any thoughts on the podcast, you can email them, sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. We're also able to say on Twitter, at sharkliveroyal, if you if you too are reading or listening to a bit of us and want to share that with the greater Twitter community, feel free. You're more than welcome to. We're very <laughs> grateful for it. Um, and enjoy the next part. I'm sure you will, Dave. You always do, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, good stuff. Good stuff. But apart from the Aya chapters. Apart from the Aya chapters. Aya chapters. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we want. We want less. Oh, no. <laughs> we want less Aya chapters and want more Aya chapters. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it, George. Come on. Yeah, come on, George. Re edit the fucker just for us. The, the interesting thing is now the cast list has suddenly expanded again because, as you said, we're going back to characters like Arya now. I think there's a Jamie mm. chapter coming up next week. So we're back to the sort of full ens- ensemble now after yeah. the sort of let's just focus on the wall and and uh, the across the narrow sea. So I think from now on, we're back to sort of the timeline meeting. Any Feast yeah. for Crows stuff has happened now at the point we're reading. And that's probably just worth remembering as we read through now. That's, that is very, very true. And I, like, I kind of wish I had... I kind of wish I had a map. I kind of wish I could go on a wiki of ice and fire because this is now killing me. Like I'm trying to remember a book that I read many thousands of pages ago and trying to like slot it in alongside this. Yeah. Um, this thing. But we will continue to grapple with that as we move into part ten next week. But until then, have a great week. Cheers. Goodbye. Bye.